What's up, vocal fam? I'm actually here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, while I'm presenting uh, for Dr. Susan Williams at the Capstone Pedagogy Research uh, event that she does every year. But uh, I wanted to just take a second to introduce today's episode. On Monday, it's been a full week for Vocal Fry because on Monday we had Ken and Joanne Bozeman both on campus on Vocal Fry on Monday. What a special day it was. It was an incredible day just filled with wisdom and and beauty and just such a wonderful, wonderful day of, of vocal art. Uh, and we were really thrilled that we were able to sit down very quickly over lunch. We really didn't even give them a lunch break. Uh, we sat down over lunch and recorded this episode with Sarah and Leah and I, and uh, it was just really wonderful. Ken talks about you know his acoustics work at the front end of the episode, and then in the second half of the episode, we allowed Joanne to really dig into the book that she's working on with Nancy Boss and Kay Fraser Neely that they have coming out on uh, sort of the transitioning female voice and just really, really uh, just a wonderful, heartfelt conversation. If you don't know the Bozemans, they are two of the kindest, warmest, most wonderful voice teachers uh, that, that you'll ever find and great colleagues and great friends and Vocal Fry was thrilled to have Ken on for a second time and this is Joanne's first time on and we look forward to having them back again um, so just I, I hope you guys enjoy it it's just a, it was a wonderful time and, and Vocal Fry is very thankful talk to you guys soon You're listening to the MC Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture, coming to you from the campus of Mississippi College in Clinton, Mississippi. So, so Vocal Fam, how you guys doing? Um, we are here. It's been a great morning it's so far anyway. already. No, okay. we're actually starting. Okay. Uh, it has been a great morning. We are super, super duper blessed to have Ken and Joanne Bozeman on campus with us today. Uh, and we've been watching them teach all morning. Ken's been doing a lot of heavy lifting with, 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 with Sarah starting this morning That's true. Yeah. and and then uh on with some other students and we have a whole bunch of activities this afternoon but it's a big day. i wanted to <laughs> have us to have a chance here over lunch while you were on campus they're in the middle of acoustics right now yep <laughs> uh, we've been through pretty much all of ian's writing that is out there we've been through already a good bit of pva yeah, we're still uh, reading through that. We're, we're through, well, we're through about 10 chapters or so. I mean, really. I guess that's tr- true. We've broken it up so much because we read we like have. the yeah, first four chapters, like <laughs> but then we went and did something else. Then we came back and he's like, okay, well, let's read these three. And yeah. So we are breaking it up, but. Uh, Making our way. Here's your chance to talk to your textbook author. What 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 questions do oh you gosh. have? Oh okay. gosh, every time he does this, <laughs> I don't even know. Oh my goodness gracious! I don't know. I don't know. I sang this morning. I don't know. I don't know. You did. I I didn't think about that. I thought you would have a question. Ken made we Sarah. Just came back from spring break. Ken You're made mean. Sarah look in this the mirror cool. this morning. It was <laughs> very uncomfortable for her. It was uncomfortable. Uh, he he made her look in the mirror. It was really quite remarkable. Was it? 
Yes. It's terrifying. Terrifying. It was. Uh, I have I have one that, that that I was telling you about last night. In in PVA, we were talking last class that we had before break about this idea of uh, sensations of F1 and F2, pharynx mouth. Mm-hmm. So yep. would you like the chance here on Vocal Fry to clarify maybe some of your writings about F1, F2 and the perception in pharynx versus mouth or? Sure, sure. Well, the, the, the notion <coughs> that the pharynx is more the first resonance or that produces the first formant and that the mouth is more uh, associated with the second formant and the second resonance has a long history, but there's it's been controverted somewhat. <clears throat> and so, in most of my writings in the first two books, I kind of followed that. And I think, first of all, let me say that the entire vocal tract there are places along the vocal tract that you can tweak that will influence both of those lower resonances or each one individual. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> Excuse me. Lunch is still in my throat. Sorry, we just ate lunch, <laughs> yeah, we everybody. Did um, <laughs> we did not give them much time. The, um, if you open the mouth more, we know that raises the first formant. But if you narrow the pharynx more, we know that raises the first formant. It's a little bit tricky to do those things in isolation. But so the, the point being, you can change the pitch of the first formant in various places in your vocal tract, pharyngeally or orally. <clears throat> um, and, and there's other complicating factors, you know, whether you're, uh, if you close the mouth more, it tends to lower the first formant. If you lip round more, it tends to lower all the formants. So this, it's not a simple thing. So for me, the issue was more, <clears throat> well, what is more useful to think in terms of motivating shape and sound in uh, teaching a voice lesson, not so much, you know, a, a very binary, this is this and this yeah, is yeah. that. So I was in conversation at uh, the last International Congress of Voice Teachers with Wolfgang Zaus, who is an, a brilliant uh, harmonic singer. Teacher of Anna Maria Heffele. Right, teacher of Anna Maria Heffele. Uh, and they were both there. And they both came to my session and they were all, oh, they're very interested in my stuff. and. Uh, I haven't talked to them since. I hope they're still interested in it, but they were very nice. And we had some conversation. And in a conversation with Wolfgang, I said, so, you know, I kind of feel my first format uh, a little bit more associated with my pharynx and my second with my mouth. And he says, oh, no, it's just the opposite. I had a major depression for about <laughs> two days because all of my all of my history and whatever I'd read had been the way I was thinking about it. And I said, well, this guy really knows what he's doing with formant tuning because he has to do that to do harmonic singing. So I rethought it, but I had always wondered, there were several other pieces that were already in my background, you know, on the back shelf, (coughs) which is number one, early Italian teachers say the pharynx is the mouth of the voice. They would say the vowels are formed in the pharynx. And there were a couple of other sources like that as well that I had, you know, wondered about. Well, most vowels we now know from Ian's work, the the dominant vowel tone color comes from a frequency that is being featured by the second resonance or the second formant. So to say most vowels, you know, are made in the pharynx implies 
you're hearing that higher piece pharyngeally. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought, okay, you know, I've, I've made the comment, <coughs> in, <coughs> excuse me, in my history that I've learned some of the most important things, and this is a lesson that I have to constantly relearn, you'll understand why in a moment, from people that I thought I disagreed with. Oh, I absolutely. So in that vein, and of course, even if I thought I disagreed with Wolfgang Zaus, I would tell myself, but he's probably right, <laughs> because he's a fabulous harmonic singer and teacher of fabulous harmonic singing. So I thought, I've got to play with this idea a bit. So I went back to the drawing board and put it together with this vowels are formed in the pharynx thought of the Italian teachers and played with it. I said, okay, I'm going to make my mind think of the brighter, higher vowel color, which I was calling the over vowel and still do, mm -hmm. as pharyngeal and the lower, warmer, under vowel color as being to the front. But I already knew that I didn't want to um, <clears throat> shape the under vowel as if it were the target vowel. So for example, an, an OE uh, sound is the under vowel for a lot of the front vowels, some form of it. But I knew I didn't want to form that as if uh, uh were the target vowel. It's just inherently in the sound. So if I did an uh, uh, the people sitting here will have to tell you I didn't change <laughs> the shape of my mouth. Nope. And I tried to not change the shape of the tube anywhere. But you yeah. hear a, a fairly radical vowel migration towards something that's sort of uh-like. Not exactly. <clears throat> anyway, I started playing with that sound, that thing, and trying it out with my singers. And it was really, for classical, very helpful in avoiding misshapes. And it made me also reconsider what is the universal percept is, is that bright is forward and dark is back. That's completely universal. I feel it that way. Everybody I've ever talked to feels it that way. Mm. And there's something to that. I'm not absolutely denying that. But if you put bright in the back, the bright over vowel in the back, and you let the warmer part passively reside to the front without being shaped warmer in the front, mm -hmm. it avoids the two sort of coarsest misshapings of the vocal tract. The bright forward that's mouthy and spread, e, that's sort of a, a very, you know, primitive wrong shaping. You know, sophisticated people know not to do that. Sophisticated singers know not to do that. Or the, the wrong back, e, the yawny hooty one, that, in the sort of raw, unsophisticated percept, that's what front and back do. A, a, a misapplication of front will give you the mouthy front, mm -hmm. and a misapplication of depth and warmth will give you the, the depressed tongue one. And reversing those two percepts and thinking of bright in the back and warm in the front completely removes that instinct. So, <clears throat> no, I'll back away from the mic a little bit. No, you, you're fine. Yee, yay, yay. Those are bright in the back and warm to the front. But I would hope that those were reasonably chiaroscuro yeah. sounds that migrate. Whereas if I think bright to the front and dark to the back, I end up with either it's too bright and I'll move it a little further back, or now it's too far back, you know, with that ee, you know. Uh, and so I make wrong shapes. Now, when I do the one that I just 
did, the better one, mm -hmm. uh, the bright as the back and warm to the front, there are frontal sensations that I probably still associate with the brightness of the sound, but I'm not putting them there or making them there in my percept. So it's a little bit of a reversal of this brightest front, darkest back thought that, that causes me and my students to make better shapes that give me the best kind of bright and the best kind of deep without the false kind of bright and the false kind of deep. It's kind of well, you know, on that line, I have two comments about that line yep. of thinking. The first is... I think that there's a, you know sort of an old uh, from the Italians the old adage that your that your chiaro really comes from your scuro. Yeah. And yep. I, I I think <coughs> that a true sense of true chiaro in the singing voice comes from a true establishment of a stable sense yep. of scuro. Right. But I I'm almost to the point, the second thought is this, I'm almost to the point where I'm ready to maybe even more separately identify that. Because if, what is, okay, so what is chiaro? You know, if, if we are literally talking about the brightness of the classical singing voice being inherently E or bright E timbres right. from a compressed singer's format bandwidth or even something super singer formanty that we're perceiving above right. that. It, it'd be any, any high partials that are boosted enough to go out, whether it's classical or not, is adds E color. Right. But not quite yes. a classical one. But. Yes, <clears throat> but if that's the balance that we're talking about in the classical singing voice yep. now, and whether we're sort of buying the six to one ratio, and that's the theory of singer's format that we're buying, right. or whether we're maybe buying some of this other, other thinking that's being dispersed right, right now, yep. Um, that comes still from a poised larynx. Yes, it does. It is generated from a poised larynx. Right. And the the classical thinking of us in the in the in the singing teaching community is that that is that is the that is the richness that is the warmth that is the darkness of the of the timbre, and but that's actually where the brightness is coming from. And so I, I particularly if. Chadley's vibrotactile stuff and that that, right. that he and Ian are working on mm -hmm. ends up being true um, with this idea that you can't feel the high vibrations that you can't feel high vibrations above a thousand hertz and so if that's at, well not only that but if that is in fact if what you do feel then in the face is in fact the darkness and the ooey sensation of the under vowel then I think there's great credence to this idea that the darkness is in the front yeah. and the brightness is in the back. Yeah. And I've had personally, at least with my male voice students, yep. much more success with them thinking about singing that way. Yep. Sort of using your, uh, as a sort of, it's a twist on your backroom front right, room. I right, don't right. use it in the exact same way that right. you do, but, but I've had a lot more success with my guys thinking about it that way uh i mean hunter who you heard this morning yeah. i mean i basically talk to him about it that way all, all the time yeah. um and as soon as his language catch up catches up to his technique yep well, <laughs> yeah. you know uh but okay well i mean that's that's that that's good that's that's you know i mean it's do you have a question you want to ask professor Bosby? no no okay all right 
I, 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 you know, I put them on the spot right. all the time. So, <coughs> what this, yeah. No, that's been very helpful. Then, then the, I don't know if this is on the same subject or not, but then the higher you sing, the more, particularly in treble voices, and, and I would say from about C5 on up, mm -hmm. you want the first resonance and the first formant that's created by the first resonance to increasingly dominate the timbre. Yes. If you want a full, you know, full, rich head voice C sound up there. So that means that the color of the under vowel, which is technically by that point probably an O, in moving into an aw, depending on how high they sing, depending they're on singing a, a G or above, above, it's an aw, <coughs> uh, will, will be a very strong component of the sound. And they may, if they hear spectrally, which you can do with training. Uh, oh, you, absolutely. You can begin to hear that single harmonic. You can hear the oo under or the o under the sound. But before you do that training, I think you hear it blended a little bit with the over vowel color. Uh, and when you do a noise, you do. Mm -hmm. Now, like when this is now much lower, but if I do an off shape and thump the lower one, well, the thump is not just going to give me a single harmonic. It's going right. to give me a wide spectrum of sounds. Right. So you hear it blended that way. So ah uh, has a kind of an uh quality in that lower piece. So you hear that dominate the sound more and more. And basically you have to train your treble voices to be okay with that. <clears throat> Shape an ah, uh, sing an ah. Uh. Shape an ah, uh, imagine an ah. Uh. A hundred years ago, not quite a hundred years ago, Herbert Chesery, his Brit, wrote about this in his last little book, I think it was the last one, called Vocal Truth, which is the one I like the best. He's got some funky science in, in some of it. He's trying to be scientific, but, you know, thought some things that turned out to not be true. But he was a good teacher, apparently. <clears throat> and he t completely described passive vowel modification. You know, 75 years before I did, and probably some other people have too that I haven't read. And he said, above this pitch, ah doesn't exist for a soprano. Having being Italianate in his training and not having an uh option, <clears throat> he said it's aw uh, and then it's uh. He said, but you don't do that. He said, you don't do that. You just imagine it and your and your body takes care of it. So to me that was a perfect example, you know, description of passive migration. <clears throat> Shape an aw, uh, but realize the sound is gonna migrate towards aw uh, aw uh, oh. Uh. They're all in the kind of same, you know location very similar <clears throat> anyway well and that's getting also at that fundamental level yeah as we get toward g5 all of a sudden not only is that happening with the absolute tone spectral tone color but it's it's also at the point where everything becomes pure yeah and and roughness goes, roughness basically goes right. away right you know, so or really I'm gets minimal to a right. very quiet sizzle if if there are enough high, sure high there can numbered, be there can high be high numbered harmonics. Not only is the <clears throat> the sizzle potential <laughs> much higher in frequency where our hearing is getting weaker, right? It's also not being resonated so much, right? But as Ian is pointing out that sometimes if you remove that from the signal, you can hear that it's missing, and when you put it back in, you can hear that it's there. But it's not the same thing as the roughness of a lower pitch. Uh, without, without question, yeah. it's much more <clears throat> pure and resolved. Yeah. 
indeed. Um, I would like to hear your wife talk for a little oh bit, if God. that's okay. So, Joanne, tell us. This is Joanne Bozeman, everyone. Um, tell us about the book that you're working on. Oh, glad. Who are you working on it with? We are working. Uh, I'm working with Nancy Boss, who uh -huh. lives in Seattle, and Kate Fraser Neely who lives in uh, Washington, D.C. area, and I live in Wisconsin, so it's, <laughs> we use online conferencing a lot. Um, what is the topic of it? The topic is on singing through perimenopause and menopause. Uh, there certainly is some overlap with aging voice, and there's some wonderful uh, resources that are coming out on, on the aging voice, including the evolving voice that was edited by Karen Brunson. Karen Brunson. There's a book coming out um, soon from Oh, I forget the name of the Compton Press, which is a UK uh -huh. um, organization yes. on aging voice. And uh, we really felt like there was a place for talking specifically about the menopausal voice, which does overlap with aging voice, but it, it presents very special conditions. And we sometimes talk about the menopausal voice as going through a second puberty, sort of in a way because just like in puberty, there are the hormonal landscape of the body is changing profoundly for both genders. Men don't go through the same thing as they age. Mm -hmm. Women do. Uh, and we go through it naturally, mostly, but then there are surgical uh, and med medicinally caused menopauses that happened sometimes earlier sure. than naturally do. And it's also a little bit of a challenge to study because it's spread out over so many years. So you can start having Particularly women that subject to subject i'm sorry subject to subject it would be completely different right. like a person to person it could exactly be and different. that's what we're finding our book is um mainly based on a bunch of interviews with over 50 women um those that are right in the middle of perimenopause all the way through maybe into the 70s 70s and 80s i'm not sure who, how old our oldest interview subject is um and we've been asking them questions about their vocal journey, and we also talk about their, their personal journey because it impacts as well. It's a complex time of life sometimes. Yeah. But mainly we're interested in how the voice goes. Uh, some women feel like they didn't notice any difference. Some women have profound changes to their voices. And we it's a very open-ended, too, because our interviews happen at a point in time. I'd love to be able to check back with them in five or ten years and see how things are going. So it's, it is complex, um, but it needs to be talked about, and women often feel that they have no one to talk to about it um, as they're going through it. Off, sometimes the response is, oh, all of a sudden I've become a horrible singer. I can't get my voice to do behave the way I'm used to. So it can be very kind of devastating, at the very least confusing and sometimes devastating. And it sometimes can cause a career to be cut short and for those that are singing professionally, but even for people that are choir singers or right. uh, sing in the shower, if your voice is doing odd things, it, it is confusing. So we're trying to shed a light on a lot of different stories. And at the same time, we're trying to cover what we know scientifically or medically speaking in order to, to understand some of those changes and then also look at the timeline and see that it's maybe it's going to be different in five or ten years uh, and then then we have to talk about a, the, the the subject of aging voice which does overlap somewhat so the the people you've interviewed are they all professionals no. or are they, they so there are various walks of life that absolutely you've, you've, you've talked with right there has been uh, some 
some really good work with Elite Voice, uh, Barbara DeMaio Fox's yeah, dissertation. Re- yes. uh, but she really did pull out the elite singer, not just operatic singer, but elite musical theater singer, or even jazz. Um, so sh- we have that data. That's terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also talked to voice teachers and singing voice specialists. So there's a great amount of information sure. there. Um, we wanted to spread it out a little bit. We do have elite singers. Uh, all kinds and again your choir singer who when maybe a soprano who is somehow hinted heavily (laughs) hinted to by her choral director that she might need to be in the alto section now Mm. uh, that can be devastating too so we're trying to look at it that way and also um, trying we'll be talking to voice specialists teachers uh, singing voice specialists to come up with some ideas about how to keep the voice going, not to give up, try to keep singing through the rough points, and when things stabilize, there'll be some voice there because we do know it's a use it or lose it. And as one of my singing voice specialist friends says, sing it, she says, use it or lose it less quickly. Yeah. So it, it is a matter of keeping the voice going, keeping it in training. Uh, we know that we do lose muscle function to some degree. And if you just leave it alone, you'll, you'll lose it faster. You know, I think one of the things that I was pleased to see us bring up in Los Angeles, we were all in Los Angeles mm-hmm. last summer at the summit. And uh, when I say we, I mean Joanne and Ken and I were. And I was glad I to see us. I thought it was Leah or me. <laughs> I was glad to see us just bringing up this idea of, of making sure that we as pedagogy teachers are prepared to talk about the aging voice, meaning the lifespan, lifespan voice. Lifespan, absolutely. You know, because one of the things that I've been talking about with them is, is is this idea that when I first started teaching pedagogy 12 years ago, I had this sort of idea that I was just recreating myself, that we were just preparing people to prepare young singing professionals. And I've been trying to preach this message that, no, you need to be prepared to teach avocational singers yes you need to be able to prepare to teach aging Mm -hmm. singers you need to be you know because we should be able to give the joy of song to any of them whether they're young kids or whether they're you know and i think this met the the, you know i'm hoping that part of the message that you guys are trying to say is we can still be finding this joy of singing even through transitional periods of life absolutely you know and to keep going i'll use myself as an example um i had uh, probably more difficulties than some women. It took me by surprise. There, it's possible that I had a paresis or a, weak, a profound weakness or semi, semi-paralysis, I guess. Paresis is probably the safest word. That just means weakness that was in addition to hormonal changes. Um, but And it was very discouraging. And that's one reason I want to write the book is because of sure. the feelings of discouragement. I remember them uh, profoundly. And, um, but I kept singing. I had a friend who knew that there were some family issues going on with the health of my parents at the same time. She gave me a little ashtray, not because I smoke, but (laughs) (laughs) the words on it are cante que ti passa, which means keep singing till it's over. It's sort of like whistle while you work. That's the sense of the the Italian phrase. But I was annoyed when she gave it to me because Singing didn't feel good. I didn't yeah. want, you know, it was not pleasurable at that time. I did 
mess around with changing my rep a little bit and but I kept singing because I'm a singing teacher yeah and I still demonstrated for my students I did the best I could I I often told them I, I used the teaching moment and said my voice is in the middle of hormonal shifts and and sometimes I can't sing in tune forgive me I'll give you the right pitch on the piano but it was like that but I kept singing and I kept exercising I worked with a voice teacher who has an excellent ear she helped me straighten some things out that I was doing not so well to compensate that was not good um, but I kept singing because I had to if I had stopped singing yeah I think I would be in a different place right now my voice is not 35 I'm 64 um, but there are many things that that do give me joy as a singer I'm not necessarily performing right now but I hate to think if I had just given it up yeah. completely Oh, it got better too. Absolutely. That's the other part. It was really unstable for a while, um, a long time. Um, but I would say in the past five to eight years, I did do a little bit of performing about five or eight years. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was six or seven years ago. And I was able to perform something really, really important to me. Uh, and so I did get better. I couldn't have done that when I was in my late 40s, but I could in my 50s. That's awesome. Is it a lot like really like relearning your voice? Yeah, I mean, with, that's I, a very good point because the voice is, has changed in a lot of ways. There is aging, there yeah. are aging things that go on. I cannot physically produce whistle register anymore. Yeah, so it's, I mean, you know, you go into your bachelor's, you're 18, 19, and you really are just learning, like, what does my voice do? And right. so you're having to do that all over again because, I, I mean, I don't that's, know, I'm not there, I don't know. Right, that's kind of why we joke about it being a second puberty in a way. Yeah, because you don't the even voice, know what to expect. Right. I, I like that this is something we can have and look at, so at least you know, like, when this starts happening, just be prepared that you're right. going to have to Yeah, it doesn't learn. have to take us by surprise. Yeah. Right. It, did, it took, yeah, there's yeah. not guilt the about it. It's not your fault, like, it's just, this is what's right. happening right now. And I have to also, as we talk about this, um, not all women have difficulties. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's very impressive to me how some say, I just, I'm feeling great as, as a singer. And, but I would say most, the majority do notice changes. Honestly, that sounds to me like probably something we're slightly more familiar with or know people going through is like when women I know get pregnant in their mm -hmm. singing is that some people, I've heard, they're like, oh, I got better. Things were so amazing. But I know a lot of people that were like, I mean, it it wrecked me I had to completely relearn blah 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 so mm -hmm. I guess right. I mean would there be similarities I would think because it's so much hormonal stuff yeah there's the hormone part of it which is the main thing in perimenopause and menopause yes. where um, uh, estrogen well progesterone and estrogen and testosterone are uh, I've got to turn that around. The larynx is a target organ of all three of those yes. sex hormones, Very right? Yeah. And those go into a real shift. Yeah. And, and during perimenopause, which means before menopause, mm -hmm. uh, they are fluctuating wildly and there's not even a regularity to them. So the voice changes almost day to day. Huh. Yeah. Seemingly. That would be. So your target is shifting bonkers. a lot. You yeah. Know? So people that have premenopausal, I mean, I should say premenstrual changes, mm -hmm. right, which we might have to talk about this afternoon. Um, those are more predictable if you have a fairly regular it, yeah. uh, menstrual cycle. So if you know that your period's coming on day X and you have those problems, you can anticipate, yeah. oh, my high notes are going to feel a little wonky, day, yeah. you know, the yeah. last few days before my period starts it into my period. Yeah. That's, you can kind of get you can adapt to that or but realize it's going to happen. But so in, much peri with the in perimenopause, 
all bets are off because the, the the regularity of the period is changing. Is it and hard to like take measurements? Because you said you, you have looked at some stuff from a science standpoint. We were talking earlier and you were saying, you know, it's almost hard to know when it started. Like you're just all of a sudden in it. So is it hard to look at from that standpoint if you if you're not even positive? Is you're this what really it? what's happening right now? Is this right really now? what's going yeah. on? And then also, like, you don't know when it's going to happen. So it's not like you can plan this study and talk to someone like, yeah, so this is coming up for you, right? <laughs> well, that's a good point. Um, voice changes can can be mirrored or vice versa with other physical changes. For mm -hmm. instance, if uh, some of the typical physical changes, and there are th about 30 physical changes that are fun, fun. linked as possibilities <laughs> during perimenopause and not every woman has all of them but yeah. the more common ones like hot flashes okay uh, or night sweats um, but probably I would be looking also out for period irregularity so mm. the men menstrual cycle gets very uh, irregular if you're mm. the kind of person that was every 28 days it might be every three months for a little while or speeds up slows down okay, so there are like so it's not that out of the blue, i think I what i think what we have to realize that for singers people that use their voices is that they probably should be aware that their voices might be changing as they're getting those symptoms yeah because okay. it just means that estrogen and progesterone are not going to the laryngeal tissues as they were plus the big one is that as estrogen goes down estrogen masks the effects of uh, androgens or testosterone mm. women have that in their bodies they are producing it it's there but it's masked by estrogen mm -hmm. when estrogen goes down then androgen is so unopposed as we call it and then we sometimes the the, the lowering of fundamental speaking frequency sometimes mm -hmm. happen yeah. women find that their speaking voices are going down and that would be another symptom. I think if you realize, oh, you're speaking lower than you have been, yeah, then that might that that might indicate that that uh, testosterone is kind of got its head up higher than the estrogen, oh, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just keeping an open mind and not expecting a horrible time of it. But at the <laughs> same time, if you're feeling vocal changes, if you're having uh, difficulties with registration that never bothered you before. If you feel like your top is less easy than yeah. before, that pitch. those are pitch, uh, you know, maybe pitch problems a little bit, yeah. uh, j a little bit of flatting that never was a problem before, but probably just uh, voice going lower and maybe finding less ease in the upper registration, cool. upper range, I should say. So. Are you willing to comment at all <clears throat> on the role of Chest register versus head register in this whole equation? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Keep them good, both going. Good call. Uh, I, I talked to a, a good friend who is a, a speech language pathologist, singing voice specialist, and she said, um, Particularly, I think of for women of a certain generation, and I would include my generation in that, though I was not trained this way, but some singers, uh, female singers, were trained to be afraid of their chest voice. Here you go, Leah. Yeah. All mean, right. Yeah. Right? And to, you know, always bring the head voice down and, you know, just keep working on the head voice. 
And then that kind of, and especially she said, as their their natural chest voice and their speaking voice seems to be getting stronger, ample, um, then they become even more afraid. Yeah. They're afraid that oh my gosh, my chest voice is going to take over. So they they keep trying to bring their head voice down, yeah. and then it just complete. It sort of makes the divide in the lower voice, and then it becomes more unstable. So that you're not quote mixing that lovely mm-hmm. chest voice into the speaking range. Um, so she would. She says that she works with women in that particular situation. She just gets them to to mix more, and then that becomes less unstable. Um, I also I, find with young female singers, if I get them to mix more, it becomes less unstable. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it, it, it because the voice feels so uh, changed in that change of life, if you will, I think it becomes even more pronounced. Sure. And and some women, on the other hand, they because they may be tempted to carry that ample chest voice up too high mm. to get through that instability. So I think it's just, it's good, good mixing strategies. I think that also, I like to train the extremes. And so, um, and I know that David Jones has written a kind of a useful article on what to do, and he talks about uh, yodeling in and out of chest voice and sure. I do that cool. with my younger students and I did that too it's almost like oh I still have a head voice I can it's yodel there. into it I know yeah. it's my head <laughs> voice right so um, yeah did I answer your question yes, but also um, people that sing in one genre more than the other do they survive this better oh interesting like kind of if you sang commercially music theater like if you're always down in that register right. you know do you notice it yeah, this way. is this is very speculative, but our what we're kind of seeing, and based on somewhat uh, talking to some women who say, it's hard for me to sing in my classical way, but I'm more comfortable singing more musical theater or cabaret, and I found that oh. to be the case too. I felt much more confident when I would um, step away a little bit from my typical repertory. It could have been the keys. It could have been that it was more, quote, head dominant, which was not feeling great for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would sing more sort of legitimate musical theater, cabaret style stuff, and I felt much better. I talked to other women in the same situation. Um, women who go through perimenopause and menopause who are, and I don't like to say non-classical because, but well, it takes less time to say that. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Popular music, musical theater, Whatever jazz, we're calling it. you know, yeah. all that stuff. Literally they have more options. Just don't call it CCM. Yeah, right. Sorry. Um, it's not that they don't have the symptoms, but they have more options. Sure. Yeah. They can change the key. Right. They, with, and it's, there's no embarrassment. I mean, I can't transpose the marriage of Figaro. So, yeah. you know, if yeah. I can't sing that, I can't sing it. But, but you can change keys. You can maybe change your riff a little bit. You change can change your approach. Change your approach a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So if there are more yeah. options. Make I, it more speaky. Then that's right. the thing. Like there are songs that you know right now. I'm like, oh well, I can either sing this more <coughs> legit, more head, or I can look at it, come at it more from a belt standpoint. And maybe as you know, you get into that period, you're like, okay, well, I'm gonna belt this right now, and that's okay. <laughs> I'm gonna use a lot more chest mix. So <laughs> how long until maybe we see this book happen? Yeah. <laughs> that's a good question. That's, that's a really good question. <laughs> Uh, longer than we expected it to, but as we go down many rabbit holes, uh, we're just finding it takes more time. Sure. sure. But we are in the writing process, and we're writing cooperatively, which is also kind of like writing for a university committee together. Um, <laughs> but I think in the I end, it's going to be—it's <laughs> going to be good um, because we all see things a little bit differently, and uh, 
So I don't, I can't give you the, the timeline quite yet, but we're moving forward. TBA. I can't even say that. Um, <laughs> what was the original go? Summer. Probably this summer. Oh. I don't think it's going to happen by then. <laughs> I would think it would be hard to write a book with multiple authors. And multiple voices we're trying Around to express. We have many stories oh, we, yeah. we want to share. Sure. Um, if, you, if you wouldn't mind giving Ken the mic back, Ken, uh, just to tell our listeners, what are your dates for this summer? Acoustic oh, vocal oh, pedagogy. Yes. Um, goodness. 20, I think it's June 24 to 30. And what's the, first the website? Couple of days, it's the New England Conservatory Summer Program w- website. Okay. Um, the um, first two days are a, an acoustics primer for anyone that's a little bit afraid of that or hasn't doesn't feel confident enough. And we even have a, a little quiz that you can take to sort of self-evaluate whether you cool. need those two days. Um, and then the, the rest of the week is the, the main workshop. And I, I guess I would say that even people that have been playing with this for a while often feel a little bit less secure with some of the basic information or... Sometimes pedagogy teachers want to say, well, how do you present that information, mm-hmm. you know, for pedagogy? So they may come for that reason. Sure. But it's the whole thing is about a seven-day, sort of a two-plus-five arrangement. And April 1 is the early registration, lower price deadline. So if, if you, we encourage people to come. And, uh, you know, we're still learning. I mean, there's great stuff, but I'm learning from my colleagues, and I don't know if they're still learning from me or not. But uh, <laughs> we, we, we learn, that, and, and there are great colleagues that come, that contribute to the conversation and make us rethink things a little bit more. So it's really a, a been a thrilling time. One last, you'll give Joanne the mic back. I'll actually give her the last, a last can, thought. Go ahead. I, I want to talk about her credentials briefly. She was a, well, of course, she went through puberty herself. She's been a mom three times. She's been a, she's been a mom three times. She's been a mom three times and sang through each of those pregnancies. She was a Lamaze childbirth educator for ten years, and when she had to study this whole situation, at least in terms of, you know, what goes on with that, for ten years, and then she was a girl choir trainer, for the Appleton Girl Choir for a number of years, dealing with that age, and then of course she went through menopause. And so she really has experienced the whole range of female hormone issues in the voice and dealing with the training. So she's really a good person, a great person to be participating and, in this study. And I mean, I love study. Nancy and Kate both. Yes, I mean, yes, so yes. Both, oh, they're, they're, both, they're wonderful, wonderful as well. So, I mean, it, it, that'll, be a, that'll be a source to, to keep your eye out for. Um, I, I, I have one last, we're running out of time because we're going to have to move on with our day, but one of my former grad students has always wanted my wife to come on the podcast because she's a wonderful voice teacher as well as you are but um, Ken always likes to say that you're the smart one except he does the acoustics bit um, but you're better than everything else than he is I'm quoting he's, you he's I, I hope I'm <laughs> that's hyperbole um, but my, my student my former student Michael always would like her to come on just to sort of show that you don't need to know all this gobbledygook um, to teach voice well. What would you sort of say to that general thought process of being married to the one who knows all the <laughs> gobbledygook, um, you know, and getting to hear all the gobbledygook from, uh, you know, as Michael would say, science, 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 science. science. What, what would you say to that? That's a very good question. Um, I'm not a sciencey person exactly. I'm not a numbers person. Let's put it that way. I'm more of a bio- biology type. Sciencey person, yeah, and uh, I take 
I take what he says and I sort of turn it into my own language. <laughs> Translate it. It's absolutely based <laughs> on, on what he's been doing in the acoustics field, and I use it all the time. I just use it my own way. I've taken his materials and I, I call it dumbed it down or Cliff's notes it version <laughs> for yeah. some classes that I taught. I taught music educators uh, and I, I just, I, and I, I, it passes muster because I made him read it and I said, is this basically it? And he said, and he said, yeah, because I, and uh, yes, absolutely. And um, I think that Mandy should get on too. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely true. Yes. Um, well, I just want to thank you both for coming to Clinton, Mississippi. Ken is a Mississippi native, and uh, just wanted to thank you both for coming and getting to share your work with us and share your work with the studio all day. And then we'll have a master class this afternoon and, and share with these graduate students um, eventually here in practicum. And I just, um, I just. I'm so glad that th these two now have been able to, th this semester, talk with Scott McCoy, Matt Edwards, Ian Howell, and you two all Great in one semester. semester. <laughs> oh. um, I really put that all together, that, but yeah. yeah. But so it's, it's been, been a, a ride. <laughs> it's been quite the semester. So yeah. Our pleasure. Anyway, uh, thank, thank you both you so much. So much. Sure. All right, thank peace you. out, Vocal Fan. Bye. We'll talk to you later.